this is real, real lives, real people, real consequences. We're talking about, you know, everything from feeding the hungry to making sure people feel safe. And when it comes to the dollars and cents, that's one piece of it. There's also the organizational structure that I think makes a huge difference in the well-being of some of the fantastic social workers who are giving their hearts away to the mission and not being necessarily compensated because it is so fulfilling, right? So to then have a burnout for them and for them to feel like they're being sacrificed, like that's not fair. Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hi, Creating Community for Good podcast listeners. This is your host, Lindsay Simons. And today's episode is deep. We are talking about ethics. We're talking about both gift acceptance policies and what it means to accept or reject donations based on ethics, as well as power differentials and sexual harassment in fundraising and volunteer management, or the reverse. So there are some personal stories in here, one in particular that has never been shared with anybody outside of small circles that Eric shares with us. So I hope that you listen with a compassionate ear. And I hope that continuing this conversation about ethics and harassment and the human rights and wrongs or moral boundaries, it's important to have these conversations and to share experiences. And my best recommendation is to have compassion for yourself in the past and set a plan for yourself for the future. My guest, as I've mentioned, is Eric Heininger. He's CFRE certified and managing director and founder of Eden Plus Fundraising based out of Des Moines, Iowa. He also founded the Des Moines Fundraising Institute, providing an extended scope and sequence of academic and practical fundraising education to global audiences. He was recognized by the Association of Healthcare Philanthropy as 40 Under 40 in their 2019 class, where I was there to celebrate him. It was the last class to meet in person and celebrate. So he has served massive capital campaigns across the country, but he's also created a niche or an expertise for himself in fundraising for mid-sized organizations that make outsized differences in their communities. He loves to volunteer and he works with organizations who are really focused on rural communities and helping them to thrive. He is a expert on harassment prevention. He's actually certified as a champion of harassment prevention. He's gone through training and so has Eden, his company, Eden Plus Fundraising. And he's certainly an advocate for safety and fairness within nonprofits. In his spare time, he likes to play on the playground with his adorable daughter and his wonderful wife, who's a powerhouse in her own right in medicine. And he, of course, takes care of their home in Des Moines that is over 100 years old, which is pretty incredible. So I commend him. And I also want to shout out to the AFP, the Association for Fundraising Professionals. This month is Ethics Awareness Month. And if you go to afpglobal.org slash ethics month, then you will see a tremendous amount of resources there, including books to download, courses to take, and a recommendation to actually review and commit 
to the AFP Code of Ethics Standards. And in October, they're encouraging folks to join the conversation on social media by using the hashtag I signed the code and ethics, hashtag ethics awareness month. So check that out. There's a toolkit on there as well. There are a lot of resources. If you have thoughts that you'd like to share or to bring to the table, then please feel free to ping me and I'll add them to our resources. And thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. How's your little pumpkin pie? Fantastic. She is learning new words every day. We went to the beach last week and she loves animal life. And so... Now in her dreams, she'll yell sandpipers and butterflies. Oh, it's like, first off, those are pretty amazing words for a less than two-year-old. And so so I. If that's your dream, wonderful. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. Mm-hmm. What are they doing now? What's the family doing? They are putting up Halloween decorations. Ooh, yay. I love uh, Halloween. Yep. Oh, uh, fun. So that there are spiders in every corner and... Uh, orange garland up and down the stairway. It's pretty great. <laughs> so what's your favorite holiday? Fourth of July. By oh, far. yeah. Why? Summer holiday. It's warm. You get to enjoy, celebrate. There's grilling and the, the days are long and mm, the days everything's long. joyous. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, so I'm thrilled that you encouraged me to do this conversation now before the end of October because it is ethics month. So thank you for doing that. You are an interesting resource. I love what you bring to the table because you are a very strong advocate and harassment prevention champion. Thank you for your leadership as a white male. I'm just going to call it out because I have seen your actions as a humanitarian and your and your day-to-day behind the scenes human life, you know, your family man life and I've seen your actions and your statements on the professional stage where you do have a platform of people who are listening to you as a consultant and advisor. So, I just want to say I see you and I am so excited to hear more about your philosophy, your learnings and to share that with the audience today. Yeah, so- I'm excited about Ethics Month too. You know, people people think about sort of fundraising ethics as like this academic argument that people can just like have in an office where they talk about things that could or should happen. And in reality, like this is real, real lives, real people, real consequences. We're talking about, you know, everything from feeding the hungry to making sure people feel safe. And when it comes to the dollars and cents, that's one piece of it. There's also the organizational structure that I think makes a huge difference in the well-being of some of the fantastic social workers who are giving their hearts away to the mission and not being necessarily compensated because it is so fulfilling, right? So to then have a burnout for them and for them to feel like they're being sacrificed, like that's not fair. So I think that Ethics within fundraising is a complex issue. It's really great to have a discussion where you sort of figure out what your your own line is in the sand, have a good conversation with your community, you know, whether that's your internal team or someone in your region, and then figure out what's right and what we can do next. So that's why I'm really excited about this topic. Cool. Well, I'm thrilled you're here. And I know that I I want to shout out to Tiffany Williams that we'll be sure to have her on pod in the future too. But we just have such a great dynamic between 
the three of us where we hop on the phone and we talk about our challenges, opportunities. And about a month or two ago, I was invited to join the show with Jason Lewis about ethics and mm-hmm. gift acceptance policies. Before I did that, I called you and Tiff and I said, guys, like, what do you think about this? And what would you say? Let me hear your pros and cons. And how do you think about, you know, is the gift always worth it? Or do we have to consider the source? Do we have to consider the impact. So do you have a blanket party line, Eric? Take the money. If your mission is worthwhile, take the money. You can sort of finesse the rest of it, whether it's naming opportunities or what that means, but you can't be the police for every single donor situation. And you know, if it's contrary to the mission and it hurts the mission in one way or another, you need to be clear about what that is and explain why, because when you sort of make justifications on a one-off basis, that's complex and maybe doesn't work. And then you find yourself justifying something that you wish you hadn't. And so I think that when you can have the conversation ahead of time, it makes a lot more sense and make it part of a policy. But overall, there are so many important missions and doing, you know, the the common good for your community, which is why we have a tax exemption for nonprofits, right? It's because they're doing so much good. And if you can do that good and it's worthwhile, expand your mission and keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I just want to frame it a little bit more for anybody who has not as much context about what we're talking about, but it was really a donor who had an unsavory background. And and some would say that it was contradictory to the mission of the nonprofit that the donor wanted to give to. And so we debated whether we should accept it or not. And you were always strong in the opinion of the money funds, the greater good. And exactly what you said, that's why you get the nonprofit profit exemption and what your purpose and mission is. So you did hit on it just a moment ago, but I want to drill into it. What you've always focused on is, well, let's just make sure we have policies from the get-go so that we don't have to make judgment calls in a one-off situation that could become also an area of conflict if you're starting to look like you have a bias or preference or mm-hmm. all sorts of you know, ethical judgment error as well in, in the moment. So tell me more about like what does it look like Just to get into the tactical element, like what does it look like to have an ethical gift acceptance policy? So I think there are are lines in the sand that are sort of much easier to draw. If you are an organization that supports, you know, lung health, it probably makes sense for you to say, you know what, anything that is pro-smoking or receives money from strong smoking dollars, like that's something that you as a board and as a governing body can decide this is or is not right for us. And it gets really hard when, you know, those dollar amounts can be really large to say, Mm -hmm. no, this is contrary to our mission. But then on the other side of this, there are plenty of controversial politicians out there. And if you decide without justification in your policy, like, hey, we're not going to take money for a particular politician. Is it because of their political party? Is it because of their previous background? Is it if you are saying it's because of their political party or their view on a particular stance, suddenly you have to say like to every donor you talk to, hey, how do you feel about this? And Mm -hmm. is that really a conversation you want to be having? Like, I don't think that you can exclude someone based on purely one piece of that. If it's, let's say it's political party because that's how this works, then are you going to ask every single donor and eliminate 50% of donors who may still be within your mission, but because they you know, registered to vote for a particular party in a particular year, suddenly you have to say yes or no. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. No, ethics, I would say is, it can be fascinating if you look at it from the lens of ethos and credos and societal norms. How do you make ethics interesting and exciting to folks who don't really get jazzed about ethics and gift acceptance policies and you know all of the rigidities of structure and operations and policy wonks? Like, how do you open the conversation to your clients when you, you really want to get them thinking about what's right and wrong when they already probably feel a pretty good sense of moral compass guidance just by the sheer fact that they work with a nonprofit or they've started one or they're a board member. I'll admit I was guilty of this too. I thought originally like, oh, you know, we can talk about this forever, but like, does this apply to every gift that we're talking about? And, you know, it's such a small portion of what you do and what you could do. But then I realized the impact that it has on children and families and animals and our environment. And when you set up a plan or a policy that neglects any of those and sort of takes away like how do you justify to a child who is hungry who comes to your door and you say sorry we don't have enough food right now and part of that is because we said no to someone because of their previous history whether that's a criminal background or some corporate decision they've made i i could not say that to that child yeah and so i think that's how i broach the subject with organizations who say like is this really something we need to consider yes it is Yeah. So Eric and I know each other from our days at CCS fundraising, where I have a lot of great pulls and connections just because I was there for a long time. And they're international and such an awesome organization or company supporting extraordinary nonprofits. So at one point, I had a sector conversation where I was talking with other fundraising strategists. And we had an opportunity to explore a gift acceptance situation where the donor had made his money in pornography. And it was the money that was being offered was over seven figures. And he was offering it and wanting to put his name on a building of a hospital. And it just caused such an incredible conversation to think about where do we stand and who's to judge, who's to say whether pornography is something that we would support or not? And how does fundraising come into that? And there's so much that is sort of like the power of the money, right? We we talk a lot about within organizations, you know, whether it's a board or a donor or a volunteer or a staff member, there's this power differential that exists. And you have to be conscious of that and what it means. If there's a donor who their purpose to the donation is a PR push and it's it's less about philanthropy and more about sort of the transactional philanthropy that exists. If if they're just trying to wash their hands, that's part of what you need to consider. I think that that's important to what we do. For the example you brought up, I, I think it makes sense to say like, is this part of the greater good? Maybe. But one of the things that I think we can control within organizations is how we then respond to those dollars. So there's an example that I know you and I have talked about before, but I think is worth repeating about an example where a mother of someone who was a school shooter wanted to make a gift in his son's name. She had this money. She felt like this was a mission that she wanted to support. And she said like that this would be meaningful to her. And 
yeah, it's a considerable sum of money. And in fact, I think small sums of money like should be considered with the same amount of discernment. Ten dollars means a lot less than ten million. So it's mm-hmm. like, well, and how conditional is our love? Or how conditional is our policy? And I think that the way that particular situation worked out was that the organization said, you know what, we're going to do a tremendous amount of good with those dollars. Can we, however, not recognize your son this way? You know, we're not going to put his name on the building because it's contrary to our mission and it creates a lot of pain in the hearts of those we serve, but we do want to do good. And I know you want to do that good too. And when you can sort of prove it with your impact in your mission, I think it's okay. And you can be part of that decision. This woman did want to give that money. Yes, she would have loved to have a permanent memorial to someone she loved, but that just wasn't appropriate. But because it was a dialogue, not just a decision being made, the organization could still accept the money and serve the people that they serve and not have to worry about sort of the the optics of taking money from someone who is related to someone who committed violence. There's mm-hmm. a lot of sort of that, like, do you have to pay for the sins of your family members? I don't know. <laughs> well, for anybody who was listening to the very early episodes of this podcast, Bart Scrupa was one of my guests on here, and I served on his board for Groundwork Opportunities. He was mentioning how a donor had that very a scenario where the nonprofit had said, no, we, w- we do not want to accept your money because it goes against our ethics and there's not brand alignment. And then he and his, his organization found out about it because this was public news and reached out to that donor right away and said, we'll take your money and here's what we'll do with it. And here's how we'll honor you. They got it. It was like within half day. So there was a message to be said too, was that giving does beget giving. And when we can get people motivated to feel good about giving, that's important. So turning somebody off who wants to give to your organization, I think it should just be done. If you're going to turn them off and say, or turn them turn them away, I should say, if you're going to do that, then do it in a way that does feel like it's going back to your like human-centric, compassionate communication skills so that then they can still feel positive about being involved in philanthropy, as we know is so important for our society. Mm-hmm. And then also recommend somebody else another organization to donate to. If you want to have an impact, it doesn't work for us. But here are three other organizations that I'm sure would love to receive this investment. I think that's like a really important consideration for how you decline a gift if you do so. Yeah. And there's philanthropic intent in so much of what we do. And you can look at it from sort of the perspective of the recipient. You can look at it from the perspective of the donor. And the reason they want to give this money, they've earned it in easier or harder ways, but they want to give it away. And I think you have the opportunity to make them feel great about their gift. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, if an organization is, if a donor says, hey, I want to give you this gift, but it comes with a tremendous amount of mission creep, uh, mm. which is sort of going beyond the mission, then you like you take the money with the the strings attached that say you have to do something that's completely outside of your scope. Like pro- that, first off, you don't have the expertise probably in house already. You don't have the the infrastructure around it. There's probably someone who's doing it better already. If it's not a completely novel idea, mm-hmm. so it's 
it's worthwhile to sort of say, you know, in the in the circle of life, I want to help direct that person to an organization who does this really well, rather than just seeing the dollars and the revenue and saying, I want that. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, thinking more holistically. So, okay, I want to ask you then, I know you've gone through training, you think about this quite a bit. If you're a listener and you're a member of a nonprofit, you're either you know a, a staff member or volunteer, board member, whatever it is, but you want to impact ethics and giving policies for your organization, what are one to five steps that are a, a prescriptive takeaway that you'd hope that they jot down in their journal as they're listening for next steps? So I think one is sort of thinking about the donor situation, that money has power linked to it and what that power looks like. So I think first and foremost, have a good gift acceptance policy that reflects the views of your board, your staff, and your stakeholders. I think that you can look beyond sort of what that inner circle is and say, hey, is this in alignment with also those we serve? You can survey, you can do some good cultivation by having that conversation and really figure out what your community wants from you. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great first step. Second, I think that the role between individuals is a really important piece of what we do as nonprofits. That dangling money in front of you has a lot of impact on what decisions are made, both professionally and personally. And I think that one thing that we have talked a lot about with our colleagues across the sector is the importance of making sure employees and board members feel safe. And I, this is a topic that I think fits within the ethics framework that we often don't talk about. It's, it's sort of a dirty secret within fundraising and nonprofits is this, this harassment, whether it's sexual harassment or bullying that occurs because of the power differential. You want to make a board member happy. You want to make a donor happy. You want to excel. You want to move up in your career. And so you you let these little micro activities take hold. And I think this is a conversation about that power differential. And mm. one of the things that I think you can do ethically is to set forth a policy that says, hey, this is a, almost every organization has some sort of sexual harassment and bullying policy as part of their employee handbook because their lawyers and insurance companies make them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but it's about enforcing that, right? Mm -hmm. So there are ways that you can do that. So you can have, you know, it doesn't have to be a full HR department. It can be just someone who is the keeper of these situations that occur or someone who can be sort of the sounding board for something that feels a little off. In all of the partnerships that we have with our clients, we have actually changed all of our contracts to have a segment underneath our sexual harassment policy that says, this is the person that needs to be communicated with internally and they are forced to put either their CEO or their HR representative, their name, their telephone number, and their email address, because it needs to be clear in situations where we're helping, we're interacting with a lot of volunteers, who the right person is to make sure that this gets noticed. Oh, um, so I think I that like that's that. a really sort of concrete, finite thing that you can do to make a, a clear line from those who are vulnerable to those who have the ability to find trends within this situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. So 
I know that you've had experience with sexual harassment dynamics, and that's part of your motivation for wanting to get that training and to stand as a champion and to lead conversations. You and I talked about presenting at the AHP conference upcoming weekend, this upcoming weekend, about exactly that. Like, how do you actually handle harassment and sexual harassment? So power dynamics, can walk me through a story that changed your way of thinking and that really impacted you and drove you to be this champion that you are. Absolutely. And this is, this is actually sort of the first time I've talked publicly beyond sort of my friends about this situation, but it is one of the things that I think because we don't talk about it, then it gets hidden. And every time I bring it up in a close circle, someone tells me their own story. So I was working with an organization where they had a small but strong committee of volunteers who were helping to do a tremendous amount of fundraising. They were working hard. They were passionate. There was a volunteer who sort of said he started a personal relationship with me in like a a friendly way. And, And it started with texting. And then it was like, added me on Facebook and like, I'm, I'm okay with adding people on Facebook. Like that's not a line that I draw in the sand, but mm-hmm. then it started to become really inappropriate. It became inappropriate at the office and it became inappropriate via electronic communication. And it is my decision not to name names. I feel like if I had said something in that moment, it would be fair. And to not have that bystander effect that many of us end up in, but it then continued and it continued for years and it felt uncomfortable. And I, the reason I let it continue was because I needed this volunteer to continue to help raise the funds that made the goal and the mission work. Wow. And like, so is that I don't feel great about that. Yeah. Like, was I going to say something, lose that key relationship with someone who loved this mission and sacrificed the good work being done for, you know, a first text message that felt like, ah, it's a joke. And then it wasn't a joke. And then it was without any vagueness, true sexual harassment. And people may sort of think that heterosexual white men are immune to this. We're not. It's an unfortunate circumstance. And I That's why I do what I do. We, as a team at Eden Plus, became harassment prevention champions. And that process looked like, one, assessing our policies and what they look like. And that's part of Mm -hmm. why we changed our contract. Two, was to have a dialogue where we then were able to discuss what that line in the sand is. Is a hug from a 90-year-old volunteer who is just sweet and brought you cookies on Christmas, like, that's probably appropriate. Or I, I have a personal role, like, if anyone is crying in front of you, those professional roles sort of go out the, the window. They get a hug because, like, that is philanthropy. Like, the root mm-hmm. is love of people. Mm-hmm. I'm going to love that person. But as a team, some people don't feel like a hug is appropriate. And uh, if you can have that dialogue as a group, it really sort of sets the stage for what happens next. And what happens next is standing up for yourself and standing up for Mm. others. So the third part of what we did in the Harassment Prevention Champions Program is to practice. Practice the language that we use, practice the circumstances around which that happens. 
So whether you are sort of defending yourself by yourself or defending another person in the room or defending a person without a face who isn't in the room, being able to say the words makes a difference. And like you don't, it doesn't necessarily have to create guilt, but it does need to create a a firm boundary. Mm. I was having a conversation with a large group of ladies who were board members of an organization. And they they made a funny joke about a man across the, the restaurant. And I had to say, just so you know, that's outside of our policy that we've created. And I'm going to document it. And I hope it doesn't happen again. But don't worry about it today. I just want you to know that that is our boundary. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to sort of be able to rely. And as we talk about sort of what others can do, mm-hmm. having that boundary and being able to say like, this isn't my perspective, even though it is, it's the perspective of my organization and to know it and to have accountability within it, I think makes it easier to say, this is our boundary. Yeah. Well, you've just shared a lot there, Eric. I just want to pause and start by saying thank you for sharing your story so publicly. And I'm sorry that that happened to you. It sounds like it was really impactful. And it's a it's a hard situation to be put in. And it sounds like you did the best thing that you could have at that time. I, so I commend thank you. you for that. I, I actually wish I had done much more. And I had set that yeah. line because I, you know, perhaps I wasn't the only one with that particular volunteer. And The more people I talk to and tell my story, the more stories I hear. And I hope that we can fix this problem as a community. We're going to do a lot of good and it starts with you as an individual. Yeah. I think it's important to have compassion with oneself in this topic because I've certainly been put into uncomfortable situations with sexual harassment as well. And there are times when I've looked back and I've thought, oh man, I I really wish I had done something different. Mm -hmm. And what are the implications to me and my work and my confidence or my esteem? And then of course, what are the implications to anybody else that might have encountered this? So I think that it's a very common story and it's important to have compassion to know that, you know, it's, it's so unnerving to be knocked off your feet in that way, to be surprised by sexual harassment. It's, it's uncomfortable and unnerving. And I think that the first thing to do is if it hasn't ever happened to you, then wonderful. And if it has just take the moment now to say, you know, what's done is done. And I did the best that I could in the moment, but what do I want to do going forward? You know, how would I, assign my my boundaries how do i define them first and how then do i assign them or bring them into my universe to lay the foundation for success and ease of dialogue or ease of being in the world going forward and certainly hard to do just in interpersonal relationships not to mention professional but with professional boundaries with institutions i should say you have the support of boundaries and policies. So I appreciate what you've shared. And I know that there might be parts of you that feel conflicted about how you handle it in the moment. But you know, the best advice that I've been given that I want to just share is yeah, self-compassion that you did the best that you could in the time and just think about what you could do going forward. And one thing that you can do that changes the dialogue is having a dialogue. So just sharing yeah. it right now, like this is a step in the right direction. Yeah. I think that, you know, Pointing it out is one of the first things that we can do and having a strong understanding. And it may be part of your employee policy 
but is it part of your board packet that you do as part of an orientation? Is mm -hmm. it part of your volunteer agreement? I think that these are all things that sort of institutionally we can address and make sure that it's clear. You know, you don't want to create fear around these things, but you also need to step up to what happens and acknowledge it. And I think that we, we all have the power to do a little more. And so my promise to you and to others who are listening is if you have an experience like this and you want to talk to someone about it, I'm here. And so I might not be able to fix everything, but maybe I can give you the, the gut check that you wanted that says, like, this doesn't feel good. And then it probably wasn't good. If you're completely wrong, I'll tell you that too. Um, but the point at which you're, you know, reaching out to a friend or a soon-to-be friend, that should probably be an indicator of how you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, thank you for offering that to me and to the community of listeners. I think that's that's wonderful. And I commend that. And you just are such a champion to to be of service in all ways. And I see that through and through. So I appreciate that, Eric. Thank you. And I, I appreciate this time and the ability to talk about fundraising ethics with a larger audience, because I think we can all do a little bit more and it just takes uh, paying attention. Yeah. Paying attention. And my number one takeaway from this conversation is just get centered on what are your beliefs? What are your ethics? What are your boundaries? And then state them. Honestly, it's going to take some time, but it has, actually is pretty easy. You know, if you write down, here's my to-do, it might take a couple of months, but it's worth doing because if you can sit down with either yourself or your institution, your community and put out some, you know, your shared ethos and, and rights and wrongs and what's accepted and what's not, then you don't have to dance around it as much. You can just bring it up at the beginning of every engagement if if and when it's appropriate, of course, but have it on your website. I should do that myself. In fact, I don't have it on my website, but in my contracts for sure. And yeah, just demystify it. Take the power out of it. A lot of the power of harassment comes from the surprise and the power dynamic. So if you can just take out the, the dynamic by saying, you know, stating your claim, I think that does make a difference. So it's a good, it's a good takeaway. Absolutely. We are a community for good. And I think that if you set those boundaries and you act on those, whether it's a policy for gift acceptance uh, with a donor or the relationship that you're willing to have with a board member or colleague, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Simple. I love that. Well, Eric, I appreciate what you've shared with me. What gives you hope? What gives me hope? Again, keep it simple. It's the, the children who are around me and the people who are working hard and those who have a future. And I know that there's tremendous potential and mm. I just want to see it. I love it. And if you were to shine light on one thing, one topic, one idea, one person, what would you shine light on? Ooh, I would shine a light on gift acceptance policies. I <laughs> I just think they're so important. I know we're going to drill this into the ground, but I think I that it. it's really great because if you can anticipate some of those issues, it's a boring topic, but you can save so much heartache. Yeah. All right. Gift acceptance policies and harassment policies. Double clicked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right. Well, is there any question that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you or any last thoughts you want to add? 
it is October and it is snowing here in Des Moines. So <laughs> you should ask if I've unpacked my mittens, which I have. <laughs> you have. Well, yeah. I'm in a I'm in a short sleeve shirt because it's hot here in California. We've got our summer in the fall as it is here. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. And Thank you so much. Stay warm. Be Love well. You. Check out Eden and um, to the audience. <laughs> and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Creating Community for Good podcast. If you like what you heard, let me know. Send me a message on LinkedIn or write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you're curious about a topic or you'd like to be a guest, let's connect. Go to www.creatingcommunityforgood.com. In there, you will see all of the podcast episodes with beautifully written show notes and hyperlinks to everything that we've discussed. Thank you and shine on. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.